When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the coaches net. Once again, that's at the coaches net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. JP Kerfoot. How are you doing, JP? I'm really good. Thank you, Yaz. Thanks for having me on board. I'm really interested in our, in our chat around a, a topic that I'm, I'm really, really interested and passionate about, the parent-coach relationship in youth sport, and particularly in academy football. Amazing, amazing. JP, just before we get into the thick of that, Really, just maybe opportunity to give you a brief insight around who you are, what you're doing, um, and we can kind of really get into the thick of it from there. Yeah, of course. So I have just finished my master's degree in sports and exercise psychology at Sheffield Hallam University. Um, so there I was studying you know, a range of modules, anything from skill acquisition to, um, you know, getting populations fitter, healthier. Um, so quite a broad range a broad knowledge base and um, but for my dissertation you know I decided to look at the parent coach relationship because it was very um underappreciated it is very underappreciated not many people know too much about it there's not been a great deal of research on the area so I just really wanted to to apply the findings um to a football club what we already know about the parent coach relationship find out a bit more from um, interviewing coaches and parents at this football um, academy and then yeah just have it have a little look and, and see what that what that really means yeah 100 percent. you know i think i think you hit the nail on the head it is a it's a really pivotal part in terms of youth development in particular and probably one that's overlooked often too much um mm-hmm. you know my, my my views and my my experiences always tell me that you know i've never i've personally never met a parent that's got bad intentions yeah um, they're never ill-intended, probably just misguided and mis- you know, miseducated yeah. um, or undereducated in some cases. And 
with that, what you get is they're just trying to do their best to support. But there's almost this divide that's been created over the, over the years and, you know, for, for as long as I've been in coaching and anything I've known related to it, it's always been there where this has been this divide of, right, let's keep the parents over there. Mm-hmm. What happens over here in the coaches' discussion stays within the coaches and it's almost like there's like a real lack of synergy, if you like. Whereas, you know, similar to yourself, probably see that actually there's a, there's a lot of value in it that hasn't really been tapped into. For me, one of the biggest things is, right, if we can get the parent on board and really buy into what we're doing with the players, they could be the biggest catalyst for us. So just, you know, just kind of touch on that. You know, you mentioned there about applying what we already know about the parent-coach relationship. And obviously, you know, your research was around expanding on that and looking, exploring that further within the academy setting. What do we know about the parent-coach relationship already? Well, much of the research um, has came from tennis. So tennis was a really interesting sport. And there were a few researchers to... um, who looked into the parent-coach relationship in tennis that really drove this area um, forwards. And and basically, what we know is that coaches for parents are sources of stress. Um, anything from, you know, lack of transparency to criticism that they hear from the, from the courts, from the sidelines, that acts as stress for the parents. So then it's about, well, how do parents deal with that stress do they offload their do they vent their frustration to their uh, children who are playing the sport um are they a bit frosty with the coaches all these things you know can actually impact the child and their sporting career but yeah just building on on what you said it can go one of two ways um in in coaches eyes you know parents can actually supplement what the coaches are doing or they can contradict what they're doing and you know i'm sure you you yourself Yaz, you've you've got you know first-hand experience of 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 parents that either contradict what you're doing or supplement i think that yeah most definitely like i said you know i think i've i'm yet to meet a parent that is trying to contradict me if that's if that's what's taking place in the first place but um what I look to do in particular is actually get in there early and have that conversation with the parents, set yeah. some clear guidelines around expectations, what they can expect from me as a coach, and, and and maybe you know within if I'm working in an environment with other coaches, what they can expect from us as a coaching staff, yeah, what we also then expect from them. But yeah. also, I'm really big on the idea of right if I've got a you know a a philosophy, a, a coaching framework, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Let me share that with the parents. Let me help them understand what that looks like and what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to get there. Because yeah. if we can get them on board with understanding it, it makes it a lot easier, in my opinion, for them to, well, firstly, be on board with it. Secondly, if there is any questions around it, they can hold us accountable to say, well, actually, you guys said you're going to do it this way. Yeah. Why is that not the case? And I think, I think for me, a big part of that is actually the coaching staff or the coaches individually um, allowing themselves to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and not have this ego of I'm the coach, I know all. Because the other kind of consideration and the observation I've made in my time is because parents don't understand what it is that you're trying to do and what that actually looks like, mm-hmm. 
and because they're undereducated in most cases around what it could and should maybe look like, they don't know what questions to ask. So some coaches, a majority of coaches, a lot of coaches, in fact, are getting away with murder. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, th- I think on the other side of it, you know, I've definitely had situations where now that the players, now that the parents are on board and they understand what I'm trying to achieve with it, you know, they're so, like you said, you know, key word, they can supplement everything I'm doing. They're going to have a great, they're going to have much more contact time with the child than I am. So like, why not get them to understand it so they can maybe reinforce some messages away from here? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And something that you, you mentioned there was um, setting out your expectations, basically. And this is something that came through in the data sets that I was coding in, in my research. We found It might sound obvious, but, you know, the, the customs, the expectations and the ground rules of the academy implicitly, implicitly, um, you know, set up parameters within which the parent-coach relationship could actually work and function. So... What we what we know about um, academy football in particular is parents have this you know overemphasis on winning. You know they believe winning is um, you know the the main goal. Um, but it, for 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 coaches, you know they're not judged on whether their academy team wins. Um, it's it's more based on you know whether they get um, players to the next age group. So just on that though, JP though, yeah. you talked there about parents, you know, they're they're looking at the winning aspect of things. Is was there any any anything within the research or that, that led led you to explore why that might be the case? Was it a case that maybe the, the winning aspect of things was possibly the only real measurable aspect of what the parents could look at because mm-hmm. of a lack of clarity on what else is actually being measured, if that makes sense? Yes, yes. Well, as we know, parents are not really active figures in the academy, are they? They come in. They might watch a training session or two. They'll watch the games, but everything else, you know, it's 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 behind closed doors. They won't know about it unless their children, you know, come home and and, and speak to them about it. So yeah, what you're saying hits the nail on the head, really. Um, this performance aspect, um, the, the winning at all costs mindset, you know, it, it might be because that's maybe the only measurable variable that that they have at their disposal um yeah awesome yeah you know just to build on that then i'm really keen to understand why this was a topic of interest for you mm-hmm. yeah it's an interesting one so the category two football academy an opportunity came up to to be basically be an intern and the way they pitched it was um, power dynamics. They wanted to look at power dynamics in sport and what this meant. So I was having a really deep think. I was thinking, mm, what can I really study um, that's going to have a, an impact? Um, and what stakeholders might have more power than others? So I fell on coach parents and um, I haven't looked back since. It's been really, really interesting. Um, I think the the findings that came out are really practical. I'm, I, I think that we'll go on to talk about ways that academies can actually um, improve the parent-coach relationship and allow and create an environment in which it thrives in. And myself, I am, I've just became a grassroots football coach um, after I've done this, this research. 
And this was my first taste of what actually, um, that you know, the parental influence in sport and what it means. And I have to say, you know, I've used my knowledge, I've used um, my awareness to sort of navigate and negotiate those relationships with the players' parents at times. So, you know, just on that, then, you know, you mentioned obviously that this is your first real grappling with this kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Is it aligning itself with what the research, what, what we originally knew about parent coach relationships? And more importantly, how is that then uh, contrast, if any, or even compared to a lot of the research? You know, a lot of research you've talked about was tennis, mm-hmm. obviously, an individual sport. Are there any major differences or variables that are kind of we need to take into consideration from individual sports as opposed to maybe team sports? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so from my own experiences, um, yeah, you have the parents that come and support their children, um, the parents that are shouting from the sidelines at every refereeing decision. Um, these are what we would call over-involved parents, basically. Um, these are the parents that, you know, when the game's done, it's not really done for them because they'll go home and on the journey home, they'll be talking about about the game to their children and it'll be them driving the conversation. It won't be the, the child driving the conversation and it'll be them getting their point across, their opinion across. Oh, why didn't you do this? When this happened, you should have done this. And so, yeah, it's been interesting to, to see, you know, the different types of parents that you get. You get some um, that would, you know, just be submissive bystanders, really, and um, just come show their face, not really get too involved. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of the in- individual sport um, difference, what we found was basically there was one slight difference, and that was for, for te- something like tennis, coaching cre- credentials were really, really important for parents. Um, Whereas in football, that wasn't the case as such. And um, so, so I was... I was really, really keen to explore that. So yeah. why, why, why do you think that was? Because is it because maybe in tennis is that there's, there's a much lower number of volunteers potentially? Well, basically, a bit of background, you know, we, we have, um, through impression ma- management, we have a number of cues that we pick up on. Um, so we have static cues. So these are things that won't really change, like your ethnicity, um, your hair colour, maybe, unless you diet, you know, th- things like that. Um, dynamic cues are things that can change. So um, where you live, um, your accent can change. Um, and then we have third party cues. So this could be, you know, um, a headline in the newspaper article. Um, you know, having a little browse on the internet, seeing um, you know, a, a rating on on something or someone, and um, so coaching credentials, um, they would fall under you know third party cues if if they're available on the internet, and um, for te- for a sport like tennis, um, it's it's my understanding that it's it's up to the parents to sort of you know, source their coach, right? Okay. In football, you enter an academy, there's already a supply of coaches at the at the academy. 
So it's not up to the parents to decide. That's not in their decision making process. They might decide that the academy they go to, okay, if there's a number of options, but for tennis, you know, a coach, the coach athlete relationship is absolutely huge. Um, so there's a really good film out there called King Richard. It's based on Serena and Venus Williams's um, father and the role he has. So he came from, you know, a, a coaching background. And he, he, you just, as the film progresses, it's a really accurate portrayal. You know, he's sort of wrestling with his identity as a coach and his identity as a parent at the start. You know, he's, hold, he's basically holding their hands. And then as the film pro- progresses, they get older, he slowly, slowly lets go and passes the, the responsibility and control over to um, a coach, a world-class coach. I think you're spot on, but there's two key things that you've really touched on. Obviously, the, you know, the athlete-coach relationship within tennis is huge, but you know, mm-hmm. surely that's because it's one one-to-one kind of element. Yeah. Um, it's, a one, it's an individual sport. So what, what were the differences that we saw in terms of the athlete-coach relationship when we're now exploring the football aspect of things? Yeah, yeah. So basically, the coaches, they sometimes felt um, they didn't have enough time. And it goes back to, you know, the, the one-to-one versus in a squad of players um, that you're responsible for, you might have um, 16. So it goes that, down to the, the time constraints that they felt they were under, especially for the part-time staff. They, they felt that it could have been, um, it was surplus to their requirements to actually focus on their relationships. But then they also said, if I was full-time, I would, I would without a doubt, pay more attention to these relationships. It's just not a focus for me at this moment in time. Another barrier was the fact that these part-time staff couldn't be administered into the, the WhatsApp group chats for safeguarding reasons. So there was also there was automatically that disconnect from the, the, the parents. So just you know talk there about you talk about the one to one time and the time available and that's obviously a key piece. Was there anything that kind of came out around how much time a one to one coach felt was optimal? Did they need an hour or or actually because it was one to one they could yeah. get at what they wanted to maybe within twenty five minutes or you know any 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 sort of insight around that sort of stuff? Yeah. It really did vary. It really varied across the board. Um, it goes back to that old adage, you know, you can you can please 99 people, but that it can only be, you can sometimes be one person that you don't please. Um, so you had these, you know, start of the year inductions. You had these meetings, performance meetings. And there was also a tour that people thought about, that people talked about where they went across to a different country and they thought that that was really, really important and pivotal to, you know, solidifying some relationships because, you know, the parents seeing a different side to the coaches, the coaches seeing a different side to the parents. So it gave the coaches some more exposure. Um, but yeah, in terms of the, the times, nothing there wasn't an optimal time. Um, if if that makes sense. No, definitely, definitely. As you know, just it just think it's an interesting point to consider because obviously, you know, we're talking about time here, but actually, 
you know, my view is always it's not so much how much time you have, it's what you do with it. Yes. Even if I've only got 10 minutes interaction with a player, what is those 10 minutes? Am I, am I maximizing my impact in those 10 minutes? Am I, am I squeezing all the juice out of the orange, if you like? So I yes. guess you know, to build on that, you know, you talked there a little about the different interactions that coaches could have with athletes. Um, now, one of the most common things you're going to identify, obviously, within academy settings, is probably even in tennis, of course, because it's a one-to-one thing, is, you know, the, the focus around individual development plans. Mm-hmm. What, what, did, what did we learn about that in terms of... Sorry, what did we learn about that in terms of individual development plans and how they fit in with that parent-coach relationship? Should parents even be there? Was there, a, was there a preference around what that looks like? Yes, there was, there was. So there was one coach who um, basically spoke about sometimes this physical distance from parents is needed because obviously you're having a three-way conversation, okay? It's primarily with the child, if you're the coach, the parent's going to be, be there, okay? But then the child will be given answers that are sort of socially desirable to both the coach and the parents to appease them both and um, so you've got this mismanagement and um, so that's something that came through a a parent um didn't really like the setup of it basically used this analogy that it was like a court system where the <laughs> the the player is a defendant and then the coach is the judge and didn't really like the the, the feel of it um yeah so Basically, this this parent said that what could be better is, you know, more um, more thought into who is actually doing the the, the meeting, who's conducting the meeting. Um, if a player needs work on the the defense, bring in the defensive coach. Okay, have a meeting. It's quite, it's quite an interesting point because what you get in academies, in particular, is obviously that whole idea of. They talk, you know, they talk about how much time they want to spend with multidisciplinary teams and, and so on and so forth. But actually, in reality, there's always a lead coach who leads the whole process. Yes. You've got your sports scientists, you've got your strength and conditioning coaches, whoever else has got in, involved in that process. But really, they're only involved to, to the extent at which the coaches allow them to be. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to hear you say that actually the person that delivers that feedback um is obviously a key, a key, a key factor for the parents and the child as well. And in terms of the, you know, the that kind of courtroom kind of feeling. So, you know, what, 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 what was the guidance? And was there any um, surprise cases as to if there was any insight at all around who they maybe wanted to lead those actual interactions? Yeah. So, so this this coach basically gave the example of um, their son um, losing focus. So they said that they could, um, if they they identified this, they could say, oh, we're going to have the meeting led by someone whose um, expertise lies in, you know, attention, attentional control, focus, that sort of thing. And we're going to let them lead the, lead the meeting. Um, so, yeah, that was just one example. Um, this parent also said that, you know, the coaches could actually lean on parents more often um, and and almost collaborate and cooperate together rather than resist one another. What would the collaboration look like in that context? Because this is, this is a key thing for me. I, I, you know, 
in the work that I do as a coach developer, especially when I'm working working in that capacity, yeah, I'm massive on coaches trying to build those relationships with parents, and that's the exact word I use. You know, can we collaborate with parents around the development of this young young player, whether it's you know foundation phase right through through the PDP, doesn't matter how old they are, what what gender they are, can we take more time and be more proactive? in building that relationship, trying to find out what makes this player tick. Because that player, that parent, rather, will have insights you can never get. Yes. So because they spend more well, time with them. Well, that's it. They've seen them grow. They've seen, you know, if they've got particular characteristics, they can give you some insight as to where that might have come from. Yes. You know what I mean? Something to tap into that once you get that knowledge and that insight, the, 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 the depth of the relationship that you can build with that individual just based on that knowledge alone, Mm. You know, it, it, it's, it's you know, who knows how far it can get you, but it's those little things that you can tap into, which are maybe a lot, you know, in a lot of cases, stones that are left not, you know, left unturned by everyone. Yeah, of course. So one way that coaches and, and clubs could actually um, collaborate with with parents is just by upskilling them. There's been, there have been loads and loads of research on education, 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 education. Um, and it's had some very good outcomes, to be fair, in changing their behaviour. Something like a, a newsletter. Um, so if you work in the sports science department, you could have a month where you um, send a news, newsletter home. You'd have some um, easily digestible um, nuggets of information. Um, this means this. This is what you can do at home. And then the parents can go away and reinforce that at home. One of the coaches said that um, parents can also act like a, a, a second coach at home. So almost carry on the work that's being done in the academy setting and taking that into a home setting. So a newsletter, simple idea, wouldn't take long, okay? A monthly newsletter. And then once the sports science department has sent one out, Next month, a different department could send one out. I think it's a brilliant idea. I think, you know, it, it just really reminds me of something that I've done recently. So I, I actually run a, a grassroots club mm -hmm. as well. And one of the things that I do is actually, want, you know, once every kind of six to eight weeks, actually bring the parents in and do like a CPD with them. Um, follow up on whatever CPD I've done with the coaches, but actually then follow up with the parents, get them to understand what it is that we're trying to do allow them to ask their questions, allow them to get the insights that they're looking for, just so really they can put one and one together and actually get two. Yeah. And not just, not just you know, look at it, you know, and be like, well, why are they doing that? That's not what we're used to seeing. Well, it's not about what you're used to seeing. It's about what we're trying to achieve, and this is the method that we're going to use to do it. But yeah. if we don't explain that to you, and if we don't give you the, the rationale as to why we're going to do it that way, these questions are always going to be up here. And when these questions are up here, there's a lack of clarity, and then the player's got lack of clarity on what's, what's happening. Parent might be thinking, should I stay? Should I go? Should I take my kid elsewhere? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's so many there's so many factors that it can have a knock on effect with, and I think so I think that bit is really key. One of the other things I kind of look at and suggest that you know coaches and even just organisations and clubs to think about as well is there's this massive you know draw for parents to think about the result on match day, um, but again I think like we like we said earlier it's probably the only, only real measure, measurable variable that they can look at, so. One of the things I started doing in recent years was maybe supporting parents with some sort of feedback sheet yeah. that after the games, they can actually explore different types of uh, questions with the player, much more reflective questions rather than, you know, the age old question was, you know, how did you do today? Did you score or whatever that looks like? And I'm not saying that's everyone, but, 
and I'm using it as a as a loose example, is actually how did you do today? Mm-hmm. What do you think you did well? You know, is there anything that you felt that you know you maybe could have improved on? Did yeah. you, is there anything that you saw the opposition do that you thought okay that was quite decent or whatever that looks like? Just becoming a lot more reflective and self-aware around the experience of the game rather than the the, the result of the out the outcome of the result. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you know, in in that in that process, then mm-hmm. how does again you know how does that then again differ from that individual sport piece? You mentioned about King Richard, um, which is obviously you know I think a fantastic film and great great insights around um, how he approached it. But one of the things that really stood out for me was he knew what he wanted in a coach. Yeah. He knew what he was looking for. Now there's a bit of insight from him because maybe he's experienced it as a coach. So he can he's got some and this is this is part of the reason why I believe in doing the education piece with the parents and doing the CPDs with the parents, because actually I want parents to know what they're looking look at what, what they're looking at when it's happening. So they can see what they're looking at when it's not happening. Yeah. And that way they can hold the coaches accountable to that. Yes, yes. So one parent, um, what was really important for her was having a coach that was compassionate, um, that you would see, you know, um, having banter with, with the kids. Um, she said that, you know, she would get an idea of what a coach was like just through the stories that the, the child would come home and, 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 and say. Um, so that goes back to, you know, third party cues and the, the impressions that parents can easily form of um coaches and that sounds like a brilliant initiative that you've set up in you know the feedback forms i had a um i had a coach ask me you know what, what should parents say out of interest um and and i said sometimes nothing that's the best thing nothing um it should be you know the the child initiating the conversation first okay um, after it might take a while, but after they've processed all the the emotions, okay, of the game, um, and then that's when you can you can offer your input. I think you make such a great point, and I, I just it just brings me back to a conversation quite recently in, in the last few weeks that I had with a parent. Again, you know, they brought the child over and said, "Oh, so and so thinks this, so and so thinks that." I said, "Okay, but let them say it then. If that's what they think." Yeah. How about you go over there, Dad, and let me have that conversation? Yes. Right. And until we get to the point where so and so is going to say those things to me from their own mouth, mm. I don't want to speak to you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah. Right. Only thing you should be asking me is, is there a game on the weekend? Yes. Right. Nothing about the performance, nothing about the development, no mm-hmm. concerns, no queries, anything. I want to hear on it coming. If it's really from the player, mm-hmm. let the player ask the question. Yeah. Now, some people are like, well, yeah, but, you know, yes, you might not always get the player to go, you're brilliant. If the player don't have, if it's that, if it's that important to the player, they'll ask it. Yeah. And that, that's my honest belief, you know what I mean? And they said, well, yeah, but what if the player's not confident? Well, they're going to have to learn it from somewhere. <laughs> and the parent ain't going to be there for the rest of their life. So for me, I think, you know, it just goes to show how much football can be used as a life skills tool um, more than anything else. So, you know, just talk, talk about that a little bit then, you know, in terms of, Have you found that actually parents, you know, you, you mentioned you used two words earlier around supplement or contradict. Do you feel that parents are actually conscious when they're doing either or, or is it just because they're of the intended intended outcome, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously you do get parents that live vicariously through their children. It might have been a goal of theirs when they were younger. Um, and now they're, they're living a dream through through the child. Um, in terms of, you know, this idea of supplementing and, and, and contradicting, um, I do believe parents know, definitely, but I feel that the emotion sometimes overrides the logic. So we can say all, all, of, all about what we should do, okay? This will help your child's psychosocial development, but it won't necessarily happen the, the the parents for whatever reason won't carry that out as we know um one one parent said that you know academy football isn't isn't an arbitrary thing isn't painting lines on a, on a road it's emotion and they like to have uh, emotion as part of the game um well yeah and going back to you know your your interactions with with the parents. I'm I'm really interested in in the meetings that you had with them. What was what did the general tra- trajectory of the the meeting go like? Um, were were they you know both with it was a solution focused? Were you both on the same side? What was this any was there um, a rift any rifts at all? Um. So, I mean, it was a proactive thing on my part in the sense of, right, this is something I'm going to do. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily something that was requested, if you like. Uh, I took it upon myself to basically say, right, just to give a bit of context, you know, we've developed this new philosophy, developed a new framework, new new program of, uh, you know, a curriculum, whatever you want to call it. Um, and even in terms of the approach of how it's going to be delivered. So I'll give you an example. We, we You know, in this environment I'm working in, unopposed practice is banned mm-hmm. it's it, it, literally coaches are not allowed to use unopposed practice now parents might look at it and say well everywhere we go we do we see it happen yeah, that's great that's fantastic but it's not going to happen here so i need to help you understand the reason for why you need to really understand the why and i think that bit was really key for me so from that standpoint like i said it was a proactive approach for me to try to write let's get this conversation in place um, let's have if there's any questions around what we're doing great but actually this meeting is not about your questions it's about me giving you the information I need to give you and if you've still got those questions fair enough 
But yeah. my idea is that once I present this to you, all those questions will be answered. What are we trying to achieve? Why are we trying to do it in the way that we're doing it? What are our outcomes and blah, blah, blah. So at first it was like, well, you know, and I'm just par I'm just speaking on their behalf, if you like, but I would say that the impression from the parents was almost, we don't know what to expect here. We don't know. We don't know what's going to be spoken about. What's not going to be spoken about. We don't know which direction this is going to go. And all we know is that we've got questions and potential concerns that we might want to raise. But actually, let's see where this goes. Um, however, what I did see is that following that first meeting, because I've done it twice now, in, with two separate kind of pieces of content. Um, following the first one, it was almost like, okay. We like the sound of this, mm. got no idea what it looks like or what it means, but it sounds good. So mm. we're on board. Um, but then obviously as time goes on, you know, they only know what they know. So they're looking at it, they're thinking about it and it's observing, observing, observing. And now it's part of, right, now we've got to give you the next layer. We've got to give you a bit more insight, a bit more detail around how it's going to work. So giving you the outline, giving you the structure and giving you the framework in that respect. But now it's about how we're doing it and why we're doing it in that particular way. Yeah. So in the second in the second meeting, because there's only been two so far, it was actually a bit of a CPD from a perspective of, right, I've delivered some CPD content to the coaches the week before around, if you like, the research pieces that link in and support the methodology, if you like. And it was like, well, I'm going to present that to the parents as if it was a coaching CPD. Um, yeah. Explain them, you know, obviously understand that they're probably going to be at a different uh, vantage point than the coaches. So be open to the fact there might be different types of questions, which I'm happy to happy to take on board. And I think that's, that, that's probably, now that I think about it, probably one of the key things that's really helped in everything is I'm very open to taking the questions. Whether it's a parent, whether it's a player, I'm really open to taking the questions because... You know, just one of the things that I kind of live by is, well, I want the questions because if I can answer the question, then I get to learn it twice. I need to be sure about what I'm saying. So if a parent or rather if I go back to even as a coach, if a player challenges me or questions me on something that I'm doing, mm -hmm. I encourage that. I actually embrace that because it's sort of, like I said, it's an opportunity for me to really be sure. Actually, do I really know what I'm talking about here? Yes. Or am I just trying to blag it? Mm -hmm. And... The first one, I, I actually actively encourage players to ask me questions. Um, and then that then tells on to, obviously, the parents as well. Ask me questions. If you're not sure about what you're looking at or why we're doing it, ask the question because I want to be able to explain it to you and give you absolute clarity on what that is. And if I don't have absolute clarity on, it is, on what it is, sorry, well, now I've got to hold myself accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know from experience that the only way I'm going to get better at doing what I do and helping helping players get better at what they want to be able to do is if I can take accountability for what I'm actually delivering. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that gives you a bit of insight, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like this quite you know forward thinking approach is is reaping some benefits for for yourselves and um, and it's given the parents some autonomy as well as involving them in in the process and. Um, just as you mentioned, it just triggered another another thought of mine. Is obviously in the in the last CPD as an example with the parents. Um, so behind the scenes, we'd already been trying to uh, you know prep, if you like, a, 
a glossary of terms and phrases for the coaches to kind of use so that is there's a consistency across the board because obviously coaches come from different environments different experiences so this word means one thing to you and one thing to me and one thing to him and her and whatever so actually no we need some alignment in that language um so it was actually sharing some of that with the parents it's a well, look we understand you want to support we understand you want to help we understand what you want your players you know your children to get better at playing football and you want them to have success but we don't like the words you're using mm-hmm. um, and it's not your fault because you don't know what you don't know however this is what we're going to do we're going to educate you're going to support you and help you to understand the words that we're trying to use in this environment but more specifically not just the words but what they actually mean and when you might want to use them um, so that bit was really I think that bit was really taken well in the fact that they they had some guidance there was autonomy for them mm-hmm. um, in terms of right we, we were actually being involved in the process um, but we've also got some guidance to work in and, I, and, I, and I'm with the coaches with players and parents in particular um, I don't believe in absolutes so often for me it's almost like right well here's this box this is what the box represents this is what's inside the box go wherever you want within it mm-hmm. rather than actually this is a straight line you can't come off it yeah yeah I really like that analogy about the, the box Um, yeah and obviously we know from the research that um feedback is massive parents want the opportunity to be able to to feed feed information back um and try and change something as we know you know parents are involved in in the community so what from what you were saying then you're trying to build a culture well that's going to benefit the parents which will have a knock on effect that will benefit the children and so it's it's a win-win for for everyone if you don't get feedback well you know that all average of persistence um without insight will lead to the same results yeah you know it's really interesting to say that. so one of the things that just kind of reminded me that that actually takes place in this environment um and i shouldn't really say this unless because if one of the coaches are hearing they won't like it <laughs> but um i actually actively ask the parents to give me that feedback yes and I'm so keen on educating them about what we're trying to achieve in the environment that I've actually gone as far as saying to them, look, this is what you should be seeing in the environment. These are the expectations that you can have up from us as coaches. Yeah. Now that you've got clarity on that, mm. if you don't see it, pull the coaches out. Yeah. Pull the coaches out because I think that's when, that's when you're truly going to get the full input of everyone. That's when you're going to get the full efforts of the coach to recognize actually i can't just come in today and blag it yeah. because even if the parents don't say something to me directly they're gonna feed it back mm-hmm. yes you said the coaches are going to do xyz today they only did x but we you know you told us y and z was also going to happen in every session y and z didn't happen today why is that well okay brilliant now first of all let's raise that with the coach coach can tell you why and z didn't happen it's not to say that why and z shouldn't have happened but actually let's let's try and understand if there's a genuine rationale if there's a genuine rationale we've got that open communication that honesty and that transparency piece which you touched on earlier then call it out here's the reason why we move on mm-hmm. um yeah. and that, yeah but, but you've got you've always got the opportunity to if appropriate and required to call it out 
call it for what it is, see it, say it, and deal with it. Um, and that's the only way, in my opinion, that we're going to get continuously progressive and get better at every, in every session. If, you know, just with motivation alone, coaches can't always hold themselves accountable. No. They dip, they go up, they go down. There's peaks and troughs in their motivation, the peaks and troughs in how enthusiastic they can be about their roles and positions within clubs. Um, so if someone else is holding us accountable, mm. that's going to really put us under pressure. But the type of pressure that I believe that we need in order to be the best that we can be, not the type of pressure that we, you know, that's just there for the sake of it. Yeah, yeah. And coaches very often will passively wait for feedback. And from what I'm hearing, that's not what you do. You actively seek it. Um, so that that's great that you're actively seeking it. That's one way to elicit some some feedback. Um, what we know is that parents are sometimes reluctant to give feedback. They think that it might um, impede the, the child's chances of being selected for the team. That's something that came through. Um, but at the end of the day, parents are, are investing a lot of money, a lot of time in the process. So why shouldn't they be given the opportunity to um, offer some feedback and I know myself um, from from reading, uh, I think it was one study, this this hockey coach got into the habit of at the end of every session, he would do a perimeter of the, the court and he would just speak to parents. And so, you know, at the end of my training sessions, I'll stay behind 10 minutes, 15 minutes until the parents are gone. And then one parent, you know, came up to me and, and was talking about um, how, um, you know, his, his, his friend's son is getting certificates and medals and he was getting a bit down because, you know, um, there's not many opportunities to, to, to get that. You know, he was very externally motivated, which I understand. So, you know, this led me to reflect and I, I went home and then got some certificates and brought them to the next session. But I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't, um, if I'd have been oblivious and, you know, didn't um, actively seek it. But do you know what? For me, I look at the feedback piece and I say to myself, right, if parents can give me feedback, what's only going to benefit me? Mm-hmm. And my challenge, again, you know, like I said, you know, I do a lot of work as a coach developer, and my challenge to coaches all the time is, uh, is do you want to feel better or do you want to get better? Yes. Right? And just, yeah, be honest with yourself. If you want to feel better, don't come and work around me. Because I ain't going to make you feel better. But I'll stretch and challenge you to get better. And this is one of the mechanisms I'm going to use to do it. So even if the feedback isn't coming from me directly, right, there's about 15 parents that are watching every single one of your sessions. This is what they're telling us. Never mind the feedback I've got for you. But that's what the parents are telling us. Now, if the parents who maybe don't know anything, if if you like, um, have got constructive and effective observations around your coaching, I don't need to say anything. No. Do you understand? So for me, the parent giving the feedback, you know, I used the word earlier about culture. The culture that I'm trying to set in this environment in particular, and I encourage coaches to think about is, can you set that culture of open, honest communication and transparency between coaches and parents? Because if you can get that, the feedback that the parents will give you, A, gives you an opportunity to learn about the observations from from an external standpoint. B, it also gives you an opportunity to educate the parents 
around maybe some of their misguided observations around what the feedback actually is because they may have observed something but because they don't have the rationale behind it they assume it's one thing over the other but that's your opportunity to get more buy-in from the parents that's the way i see it anyway so i mean it's, re it's really interesting to kind of um think about it now that i'm listening you know having this conversation reflecting on some of those moments question for you though obviously you know you've talked there about some parents being um reluctant to offer feedback mm -hmm. but where there has been feedback how has that been sought after how has it been fed back how you know was there particular questions that were asked was a particular settings that were designed and uh, environments that were put together to make that happen that's a very very interesting question and that needs to be asked really so parents and coaches would communicate um generally over you know mobile phone for clarification purposes, a quick message could sort and solve everything. But if there was a sensitive issue, this is where things would change. The, fir the first contact would be over a um, message, but then it would be to arrange a meeting. OK, but parents and um, some parents. Well, one parent in particular stressed that she would only speak to a coach who she, she was really familiar with. Um, if it involved a sensitive issue. Um, another coach said that, you know, there's sometimes a stigma around um, issues that are going on at home. So it might be that they just don't learn about that information and they don't get any feedback. So, yeah, um, for anything that was sensitive, it was an in-person meeting at the um, academy premises. You know, you make a great point. If so, parent requesting that particular coach obviously uh, sits in on that meeting or leads that meeting, maybe, and act, acts as if you're like a, a source of support in that conversation. I'm really interested to know, obviously, if that if that if that person is no longer there, how is that approached? Exactly, that's the point that I raised um, to the um, academy when I presented my findings, um, and. It, what I basically said was a way to, to mitigate this. Okay, say for example they're on holiday or something. Um, you you could have you know gave a little introduction to other coaches or something. You know a little fact sheet about coaches. For, yeah. Because... The thing is, the thing is, JP, when they're on holiday, there's always an opportunity to say, look, let's 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 push that back until they come back. Yes. I think the real danger is well, when that person, let's just say they moved on, they're not at the club anymore. Yeah. Baba, you know, in the land of unknown now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I do realise, you know, coaches come and go. It's the nature of academy football. It's uh, highly volatile and things can change from, from one day to the next. But um, coach, coaches or, or clubs can be proactive and, you know, um, make sure that parents are very... Um, are welcomed okay if they feel welcomed and the 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 coach the coaches are being open and receptive to any feedback that they get and so these things will contribute to whether a parent will or will not go to to a coach to discuss any sensitive issues yeah so again another another key point to kind of touch on you know you obviously mentioned that you know the part-time coaches weren't privy to certain conversations because of safeguarding issues what happens now in that situation there if the coach that they're actually liaison with and I've got a good relationship is a part-time coach yes 
So that's a really, really interesting point. It's got me a little stumped. Yeah. So the the part-time coaches, they would report to what we call, you know, a lead phase, phase coach. Okay. So they would deal with all of the, the admin work and things like that. Okay. And then what would happen is um the the phase coach and you know a part-time coach, okay, um who's more on the ground, okay, doing the sessions, they would get together and we call this, you know, collusion. They would come up with a, you know, consensus and then they would go back to the, the parents. And one parent actually said, you know, it's it's I'll try and quote it um word by word for word. Um, it's almost as if they're saying the same spiel to pacify people and they're just regurgitating the same spiel to pacify people and that was quite a damning quote that they don't didn't think that the coaches were being totally transparent with them well it's an interesting one you know i'm asking this because you know i understand the dynamics in, in you know the workings of an, of an academy environment in particular and knowing that majority of the coaches that actually operate and interact with the teams themselves are probably the part-time coaches especially in the foundation youth development phases um, mm-hmm. with generally the lead phase who's the full-time member of staff or if there's more than one of them in each phase um overseeing that process rather than actually having the full-on contact time if you like so it's a bit of a conundrum isn't it because mm-hmm. you've got these part-time members of staff who've got the most contact with the players yes we've got these Members of staff who have the least contact with the players actually leading on the process. Yes. And we're expected to be, the, you know, if you like, the spokesperson for the organization within the environment. Yeah. Yeah. And the part time coaches, it's worth mentioning, couldn't just go off their own backs and reach out to these parents. They had to double check. Okay. They had to ask permission. Um, can I, you know, have a word? I think it'd be a benefit if I um, spoke to that person. But then the phase lead, would have to have to give permission basically and say yes. Um, so yeah, it was a really awkward dynamic that was that was going on. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine because, like I said, you know, not only is the part-time coach probably got a stronger relationship with the player or a a more you know higher higher opportunity to have a, a strong relationship with the player, but also the connection with the parent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nah. In, a, in many situations, you know, and I've worked with a lot of players in and outside of academies and, you know, linking back into what you said earlier about having particular people lead meetings and stuff like that. You know, I was working with a kid um, not too long ago and he'd been released from a Cat 1 club. Mm-hmm. Um, he's now ended up at another Cat 1 club, but he'd been released by a Cat 1 club. But the feedback he was given, in my opinion... He's been given feet just to give him more context, goalkeeper. Yeah. He's been given goalkeeping feedback, but the goalkeeping coach wasn't part of the process. Yeah. So it's almost, and that's probably the, that's probably the best example I think uh, you can probably find where actually you no, know, you need someone who's maybe not that lead coach to be involved in that process, um, in some way, shape, or form at least, even if they're sitting in on the meeting, if you like. Um, because, you know, there's always the argument to say, well, you know, the sports scientist can feed into the lead coach and this person can feed into the lead coach. But actually, if we're now talking position specific, an individual position that probably has a very specialist skill set, obviously, is the goalkeepers. Um, 
not to say that you don't need specialist skills to be in other positions, but the understanding of the position is very different. And, you know, not every coach may, may necessarily possess the finer detail that's required to support that individual as best as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean it's, it's, re it's really interesting. So, it, out of curiosity, in any of the research that you've looked at, and even in the workings of the academy, was the goalkeeping coach part of that? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. Um, but yeah, I think it just demonstrates that, you know, the flaws that can appear in a multidisciplinary team, can't it? Um, another point that was raised was that um, coaches would use quite murky language, okay? So in the social sciences, this is what we call, you know, strategic ambiguity. So what, what, it's, what its intention is for is to basically put you in a defensible position so that if anything happens in the future they come back to the what was said yeah it, it can go what you said could mean one of five six things it's a really interesting point because the number of parents who i don't know have gone into academies and had that that type of interaction um my advice always is to them ask the questions because they will fob you up at every given opportunity possible mm -hmm. but if you ask them the questions and they can't answer it now they have to be held accountable yeah and coaches will do that whether it's malicious or not is a separate discussion but they will try and get away with ambiguity so yeah. my question to you know my advice to all parents you know even if anyone's listening to this in fact if your kid is in that situation do not leave that conversation unless you have absolute clarity. So if they say, oh, well, you know, so-and-so needs to, it needs to work on this, this, and this. Okay, but what does that look like? Yeah. How do I know when they've been able to work on it? And first of all, not only when they've been able to work on it, but how do I know that they've actually got to the point that you've said they need to be at? Mm. What do I look at? So again, essentially, going back to the education piece, looking at what we talked about earlier on the variables that they use to measure things. How well, as coaches, as clubs, as organisations, are we equipping the parents to measure success? Yeah. And I think that's what it all comes down to. Are we doing that enough, if we're doing it at all? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? Yeah. I I would just echo that. Um, some research that came out of, I think it was France, basically made this point that it can it can take um, academy parents up to four years to become fully um, socialised into this system. Um, but four years, as we know, that's quite a long time. Um, so parents come, and then after two years, maybe their son's released. They haven't really became accustomed to what the club stands for, what it's about. What does a fully socialised uh, so, look like? So, um, understanding the customs of the club, uh, the expectations, that would be an, another example. Um, the norms, the, the normative behaviours, okay, what behaviours are appropriate? So, for instance, if I'm a parent, how would I demonstrate I'm fully socialised and my understanding of those things is in place? So, one example is, um, in, our, in my research, okay, um, parents were not encouraged to speak to the coaches before kickoff. Um, they were also not encouraged to um, shout from the sidelines. This is what 
would be deemed socially unacceptable behaviour, non-normative behaviour. So a parent who is adhering to these, you know, implicit customs, okay, that would um, tell me that they potentially have became socialised. Yeah, so can I, I just want to try to get a bit of clarity on that. Is it that they were not encouraged or they were encouraged to? They were not encouraged to um, shout from the sidelines, okay? There was a small window of opportunity. Um, nothing. My yeah, my understanding is nothing. It was more of an implicit rule rather than a formal rule. Right. Yeah. So um, parents could could do that, okay? But one parent said that you know it was it was not to be encouraged. It it wasn't the way to go. Okay. So then, you know, obviously that's one way of obviously demonstrating whether I'm fully socialised into this process. But what happens now if I'm an introvert? If you're an introvert? Yeah, I'm a parent, I'm an introvert. How do, how do you, how would you assess whether I'm fully socialised in this process? Because you wouldn't see me shouting from the sidelines regardless. No, no. So for clubs that um, are have discouraged this um, shouting from the sidelines, okay, an introvert could find that that's, that's perfect, that's a perfect environment for them. Um, yeah. Whereas an extrovert, that might might be uh, a bit a bit hard for them. So I know we've just came off the back of Silent Week, haven't we? Um, I think it was an FA initiative. So I have um, a parent of a child that I'm coaching who's you know um, really loud from the sidelines. Um, will will criticise players openly. He will shout not only about his son but to other other players as well um, and so and you, I know that this is a, a bit of an issue so before the game I, I said to him um, oh it's 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 silent week this week okay just to prime him okay because this would be quite uncomfortable for him and um, he basically said oh it's it's a load of rubbish um, don't agree with that and so I thought oh this doesn't bode well does it I kid you not 10 seconds in he is mouthing off to our goalkeeper. Not not anyone else, not his son. Our goalkeeper, okay. Um it got it got so so heavy that the opposition managers actually called out to him, just just take a step back, take a step back. And the second half, he was brilliant. You know, one of our players lost the ball and he, he was it was encouragement. It was um, oh, you'll get it next time. You'll get it next yeah. time. And it's a, it's, an, it's a really interesting point. And it's an amazing one because in that situation, really what's happened, he's been held accountable. Yes. The accountability has caused the change in behaviour. And that's, you know, that, that literally sums up what it is that I was trying to create in terms of the culture and the parents and the coaches in this environment I'm working in. Um, so, you know, that's a perfect example of that. You know, but, but JP, you know, there's so many different facets to this parent-coach relationship thing. I yeah. guess the question people are probably thinking about right now listening to this is, yeah, this is all fantastic. You know, this airy-fairy place of great coach, great parent relationship. And, you know, it would be wonderful if the parent wasn't stressing us out, asking us if, how many minutes our son's going to play or our daughter's going to play, you know, or paying attention to the fact that actually the player that she came on for or he came on for played two minutes more than her or him. It's like, well, these are, you know, just one you know, minor example of all the different things that could occur. 
the question that will be asked though is how do I create that and obviously we've shared some insights and you know some different experiences that we've gone through around that but what yeah. you know what do the findings tell us about what to kind of look out for and start to you know start to thinking about immediately in order to implement a, implement a kind of a a quick win if you like yeah so if you're working as part of a, a sporting institution there are some organizer organizational changes that you can make that will enable the parent coach relationship to thrive so there's something in the literature called a role intermediary this is something that came through in our data sets they felt that that one person was missing to connect the coaches to the parents someone who quote unquote could take all of that headspace away from the coach someone who could answer queries about you know left bags left boots the parent rep a parent rep it could be yes um but it's not without its risks okay so for this parent rep you would need strong interpersonal um skills okay um coaches if someone like this was brought on board coaches could feel that they could get away with neglecting this relationship because they have this person who deals with all the parents. So coaches bit by bit could um, avoid parents entirely. Um, so there's some things to be aware of if you were to bring a role intermediary on board. Um, I would suggest it to be a voluntary position, maybe um, a, a former um, player's parents, you know, a former academy parents um who has been involved in the academy and um, who you have great relationships with who was never getting into any rips with other parents because if you were to make it paid then there's right off the bat uh, an un unequal power dynamic so their loyalties will lie with the club not necessarily the parents so you want someone who's fixed in the middle who can go back and forth and almost be uh, a conduit no, I think it's a great point because you know if it's one of the things that you often kind of overlook, isn't it? That, that that power dynamic piece around as soon as you get paid to do something, well, actually you got allegiance to something. Exactly. You, you, you know, you're watching your, you're watching your paycheck, whether whether you like it or not. Um, and you know, it's interesting because you know you you everything that you've mentioned is basically what I've just recruited in 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 the club that I'm working with. We've got now parent reps at each age group. Um, yeah. And the idea was quite simple because I'm kind of the one overseeing the environment a little bit. I'm getting, I was getting bombarded by messages and requests and this and that from all the different parents. But what would happen is I'll put a message out um, addressing exactly what their questions were before the questions even came in. Yeah. Like, well, have you not read what I've just said? <laughs> um, and then I'd get a message from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, maybe upwards of 50 people around the same thing. I'm thinking, what's going on here? <laughs> read, read your message. And I'm quite, I'd like to consider myself quite meticulous and, you know, with att attention to details. I know what questions are going to come out from what's about to be said or what questions might already be arising. Um, so I kind of try and be proactive with that. I said, you know, scratch this. We're getting parent reps at each group. They're the only ones that can communicate with me from now on. Problem solved. Problem solved. They can deal with the questions um, because Quite simply, I ain't got time to respond to 50 individuals, but I can speak to a group of six or seven people. 
and I'll have that conversation with them. I'll give them the clarity they need and they can communicate it back. Even if they copy and paste it, just keep copying and paste, copy and paste, copy and paste. <laughs> um, but no, it's a great, it's a great point. So, I mean, you know, building, building on that, any other strategies or considerations for people to think about? Um, another one could be to make it a focus of club events to improve um, parent-coach relationships. Um, so at the minute, you know, I very much doubt that it's on the agenda to to improve the relations. Um, but you don't have to just have one event focusing entirely on that. You could try and hit a, a, a few a few birds with one one stone, and it could be a focus, not necessarily the focus. Um, so in in doing so, um, you would just bring it to the forefront of you know coaches' minds when when. When doing this event any examples of what that could be uh, so an example in, in in the club that i was doing research in um to when they were onboarding in parents they would have a dinner at their stadium um so they this was all, almost them wooing the parents um so that that was that that's one way that you can do it Definitely, definitely. Look, JP, you know, it's really, it's really fascinating because you know it's not every day you come across someone who specialises or who wants to really take a big interest in this particular area. But mm. you know, if we go back to one of the key things we talked about earlier, it can either supplement or contradict. Yes. The coach. Um, but I think it's such an overlooked piece within youth development, isn't it? I mean, it's untapped in the way that untapped to the point where we don't actually know how much impact we can get from a good parent-coach relationship and then you hear about all the ones where the parent has a great relationship with the coach maybe not so much in football because I think you know maybe unlike an individual sport you probably you probably spend unless you're fortunate enough to be in one environment for your whole journey you're probably going to come across hundreds and hundreds of different coaches um or rather the number will be greater than not. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think in an individual sport, it's probably very different. Once you've got that relationship, you, you, you kind of, you're kind of keeping that. You're kind of keeping that. You know, that's just what my naivety tells me anyway. So I guess, you know, it's, I think it's, it's such an untapped piece that, you know, coaches can... My, my, my words to coaches sometimes are, are you being useful with your time? Or are you being effective? Right. Now, for me, the effective is all again about becoming even more efficient. In order to become more efficient, you become, you know, you'd be able to maximize your time. Are you turning every stone possible within that, or are you leaving some of them unturned? And if you are leaving them unturned, it's not to say that's a right or wrong, but have a reason why it's unturned, rather than it being one that you don't even know the stone exists. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So for me, this is probably that this this isn't this isn't a stone. This is a bloody rock. <laughs> they unturn. You know, if you turn this one over, you can, you can you can accelerate that process so much because as difficult as parents can be, as challenging as they can be, like I said, for me and my own experience and my observations, it's never because they don't they don't have the right intentions or they don't want the best for the child. It's often because they're under they're you know they're miseducated, undereducated. Um, or misinformed in, in, in many cases. So can we tap into that, support them, help them develop as much as we would with the players? You know, think of them as part of the player development process. 
there at all. The same way you might use stop standstill, the same way you might use Q&A, the same way you might use your guided discovery, use the parent. Mm -hmm. Use the parent. And I think that's probably the best way to kind of look at it from my perspective. Any 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 final words for you? No, no, just to echo what, what you said. Basically, this is a huge rock and, you know, many coaches um, don't want to turn it over. Um, because there'll be loads of creepy crawlies hard enough underneath that rock and they don't want to face them. Um, but I think doing so, you you create a better culture for, for the club um, that you're working in um, and allow the, the coach parent-coach relationship to thrive. Um, I, we have came a long way. Um, we have. I know there, there was a very famous quote about a coach that basically said, sometimes the best team... To, to manage is a team full of orphans and um, just because you know you don't have to deal with any parents but um whereas there was a total dismissal i think we are moving in the in the right direction which is um promising amazing amazing and jp you know, you know obviously you know this is your area of research uh, you know um i don't know how how far that's going to go but you know is there any way people can get in touch with you to find out more about your work in this area and uh, a little bit more about you maybe yeah, so I'm on I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Twitter, JP underscore Carefoot. Um, of course, I'm happy to chat with people. Um, I'm also trained to deliver any psychoeducation workshops. Um, so if you're working within a club and you think that parents or coaches could benefit from a little workshop, um, then get in touch. Yeah. Amazing, JP. Thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully there's some, uh, there's some rocks that are about to be unturned. Or rather, turned. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Take care, man. I know. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.